What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Antonson. Today's guest on the show is Latham Kellum. Latham is an OG surf foiler. Got into it through kiting. Was surf foiling before Kyleni video that rocked the world. Um, he has tested a broad range of gear. Uh, he talks about his progression through gear, uh, and comes to the sport with a background in water safety, being a uh, paramedic. Uh, he's water rescue for World Cup team uh, in sailing, sales GP type stuff. And this, is a, this was a good conversation. I learned a whole lot. We discuss safety in tow foiling. We go through his progression in gear. Um, his recent switch from GoFoil to Armstrong and what brought that about uh, has a lot of love for both of those brands. And uh, his new um, journey in strap foiling, why he's enjoying that. Uh, if you don't follow Latham yet, go find him on Instagram. Check him out so that you have a basis for his skill set, rips, um, and uh, what he what he's into in water sports, water sports, um, big background there. Uh, and I always think that you should go and, you know, study folks who are on the show because it will give you a framework, a foundation of understanding for where they're coming from. Um, it's the same way that I approach looking at new gear. I look at what people say about it, but I also look at how they're riding it. Um, sometimes there is a cognitive dissonance or, um, the feel and the look um, might be a little bit different. Um, it's the way I approach training too is, um, you know, watch the gear, see where it's good, and then go out and explore it for yourself. Uh, and I find that that framework works. So um, news for me, it's been a while since I've dropped a show, about a month, I've been super busy. Apologize for that. I appreciate all the uh, DMs I've been getting and people asking me to jump back on it, but I got Latham. I've got a show with Eric Foyle that I recorded a long time ago that had some audio issues. So it's going to take some time to produce. I'm going to have time the next week to produce that. And I just recorded with James Casey. So it's going to be a good week. We're going to probably have three shows drop this week. Uh, I've been testing a lot of gear. I'm back in Florida, which is awesome. We had a really bad run of waves. It was just big and super windy for a while, but now we're back on to some really good foil conditions. So, um, I just got the Kajira 980 and it took me a long time to get that wing dialed and I didn't want to say anything about it until I felt uh, that I had it kind of um, dialed, my equipment dialed and the feel right. You have to base plate the shim, which is a drawback and I was hesitant to do it. I thought I was going to be able to overcome and just kind of learn it and then as soon as I shimmed it, it was like, okay, you know. That was a stupid, it was stupid to ride it for five, six sessions, whatever I did without it shimmed. So much better with the base plate shimmed. Um, just feels really good underfoot. Uh, lets you move the mast forward a little bit and feel very in control. That foil is special. It's really good. Um, I have no affiliation with Takuma. I get hooked up from Big Winds um, and get to test gear from them. So, uh, but I'm not sponsored by Takuma or anything like that. It's just a really good foil. Um, Probably, I'm going to say it's better than the, the 1300. The big difference between the 1300 and the 980 is the sweet spot. The 980 
given my size, 185 pounds in a wetsuit, a little bit heavier, is a lot smaller. So if you bobble, if you make a mistake, uh, recovery isn't quite as easy. And it might not be the best foiler for someone who is um, just getting in uh, into the sport. I think that the 1300, the sweet spot is so big. It's so hard to mess up on that wing. It's just really easy to feel dialed. So I think the 1300 is is amazing for that. But the Kajira goes faster, turns harder, um, and pumps better. And now that I have it really dialed with the tail and angle of attack with the base plate shim, and I understand my positioning, I'm pumping it really well, like like solid, um, almost as good as the Lift 170. A buddy who's surfed with me a whole lot was saying I was going as fast pumping the 980 as I am when I when I ride the Lift 170, which is pretty bonkers given how good it turns. Um, so that's exciting, and I'm probably eight six to eight sessions in on it right now. Uh, and I'm hoping that we're going to have a good week here and I'm going to get a lot more. I've been testing the Armstrong 1250 and that wing is really good too. It's, uh, it's fast. It's, it's super loose. It's the best wing that I have felt in hitting whitewater so far. It really slides through the water column and you feel really comfortable because sometimes when you're hitting whitewater, uh, if the wing catches, it's a really scary fall. You know, so you're sliding sideways through the white water, the wing will catch, and then you kind of taco under your back on the foil. And that's actually happened to me a couple of times on the Kajira. I'm starting to understand it and I've changed my tail up now and it's a little bit looser, but I think that longer fuse and the wing tips, that more vert- vertical space will lock you into the foam a little bit more. And it's a little less predictable where the HS1250 just kind of slides through. And that's really fun. I found that I have to shim that tail a whole lot to get the feel I like. I did not like the feel at all out of the box. I felt like the nose wanted to pull down in, in turns. Um, I tested the 50 fuse on that for a bit, and I don't like it as much. I know a lot of people are hyped on the 50 fuse, and I felt that every once in a while you'd get like a turn that's very special, which is like a really tight turn. But the overall feel and kind of flowiness of the foil then suffers for the rest of it. It might be just because I don't have enough time on it yet. I've only done probably three sessions on the 50 fuse, but I find that everything gets smoother and butterier on the 60 and I'm pumping it better. And for our conditions, you're, you're spending a lot of time kind of pumping around and when you're going faster into the connection turns, it's better. Big, big drawback on that foil though, is that you can't get tips out in in a good turn. Like if you, if you get a tip out on a bottom turn, it's catastrophic lift failure. And I don't know if that's a deal breaker for me, but it's really hard because it means that you have to safety surf. Uh, it means that you can't push turns because you've got to be worried about where your tips are more than just leaning it over. Now, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and, and they're freaking, cause maybe you get the 85 mast and it changes everything. Um, but that's buying another mast and then where we surf a lot, it's, you know, pretty shallow sandbars. And so that's a whole nother thing to consider. I guess if you're towing on it, uh, maybe that's a good thing, but if you're towing, you're probably on the 1050 anyways. So, uh, it's a really good wing. Um, I like it a whole lot. I'm going to keep exploring it. Uh, I, you know, that there's some very good moments on it. Um, so that's an interesting foil that's, that's out there right now too. Uh, all right, hit me with any questions, DMs. I've gotten a lot of requests over the last uh, couple of weeks too to do like a mailbag episode, just take a bunch of questions and answer them on the podcast. Uh, if that sounds interesting, uh, shoot me a message and I'll consider doing it. And 
yeah, I'm just stoked. You know, as this pandemic, you know, continues to go on, I'm just super grateful. I think I say it in this podcast too, but I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I'm just incredibly grateful that our sport is one of the safest sports that we can do and get to stay in the water uh, and not have to worry about it. Um, so stoked on that. Hope you guys are getting tons of water time. Feel free to reach out with any questions. I'll answer them when I have the time. If it takes me a day or so, just means I'm busy. Um, and appreciate all the uh, support and the feedback. Hope you guys are good. And let's dive in with Latham. Latham, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Just chilling out. It's uh, when the, uh, the weather changed. It got cold yesterday and west wind, so it blew everything flat. Yep. So we have some quick time to talk. <laughs> yep. <laughs> We're in the same boat. Yesterday was all time. I think it was like the last day of summer here in Jack's Beach. Um, this morning was 39 degrees. So it's over. <laughs> yeah. It hit like, it typically doesn't get below 40 something in Cocoa Beach, but uh, I rode my bike today to go get breakfast and I, it was pretty much wind chill. Yeah. I was bundled up. <laughs> <laughs> um, give everybody a background. Who are you? What do you do? Water sports, life, the whole thing, and then we can dive in. Well, I just turned 48. A lot of people don't realize I'm that old, but uh, I try to ignore it. Um, a few months shy, you know, a lot of a lot of good peers in town, so you got to keep up with them. Yeah, number one is, you know, growing up around Kelly Slater and his legacy, you know, the GOAT. But um, he's a shining example of how to age properly, put it that way. So you get some contact time every once in a while. He swings into town, but he's a busy guy. But uh, as far as surfing life goes, it's really just my dad was had me out in the water on his longboard at about, you know, as old, you know, as young as I could be on it, you know, about a year old, hanging on to the nose of the longboard. And um, my local spot was Sebastian Inlet. And at that time, I thought the whole entire planet surfed. And that's just what we did in the center of that universe was Sebastian Inlet. So um it was it was cool to grow up in that environment that atmosphere it's just really just a right break willow wedge bounced off the jetty it's one of the pinnacle spots in florida it has not aged well the geography's changed a bit it's had some engineering issues so over time it just we kind of lost that little little beacon of light and spread out to all the beach breaks and and outer reefs and a couple spots like that near here but um yeah, so work life. Um, I've been a paramedic and a firefighter since I was about 23. And I kind of got into it because of the awesome schedule. I could surf more and surf as much as I wanted to be without being a professional surfer. So it was, uh, you know, it was a big uh, reality check. Once you hit the working life as you're growing up, you're like, uh, you know, you're not just in school. You're not able to just go surf every weekend. You're working, whatever. But um, that, line of work appealed to me so i jumped into it both feet and it's been very rewarding um being a medic for so long i've gotten pulled into a couple other side jobs and and tasks that have taken me to some really cool places uh, both uh domestic and you know overseas spent a month in brazil teaching medical um combat type you know casualty care and um got pulled into a couple Good water rescue safety teams with uh, Aquacross, which is a jet ski endurance racing series. Um, P1 Panther boats, which is like 31 foot um, 
motorcraft and Superboats International. And then kind of that all led up to my most recent gig, which I am so bummed I'm not in New Zealand right now, but I was part of the safety team with New York Yacht Club, the American Magic team. And between Brist, you know, Bristol, Rhode Island, Newport, and down in Pensacola, just had an absolute mind-blowing experience to be a part of that. And it's, it's extremely humbling to see what level that people actually operate and function on on a daily basis, just making miracles happen, like right in front of your face. You're just like, wow, this is really happening. This is going on. So I'm rooting for that race. The product cup starts in a few weeks, I believe the 17th. And it's just going to be epic. So have you brought anything back from that experience into your foiling, either in understanding, you know, new evolution in gear or in practice? Yeah, there's, it's crazy how hand in hand the two are, because we're in such a new sport with hydrofoiling with surfing, but it technically has been around for a while, you know, with Mike Murphy and guys like that, just sending it technologically, just making stuff happen out of nothing. So it was wild to see like the, you know, the AC, AC 70 boats and the, uh, the catamarans and sail GP and all those guys just take those catamarans just, just, which is an incredible crap to start with and then put foils on a catamaran and just push the performance envelope. So when they came up with the mono holes, it was this entirely different setup. So when New Zealand won the cup, they get to set the pace for what the new yacht's going to be. So their plans and designs look like an absolute pipe dream, you know, from anybody from the yachting world, like you're going to mono hole and foil. How's this going to happen? So basically it's a big mono hole uh, plan, just a single hole, but it's got foil arms that come out the side. They articulate and they can cantilever the weight. They can, um, just make it happen. It's bizarre. It looks like a transformer or something, but when you see it in, in action, it is, it, it's poetry. It's just like a, it's a work of art and everything is in the right spot. There's not a dysfunctional piece of machinery on the equipment. So <clears throat> watching just the process of what they were building and how they were building it and how fast they could ramp out an idea and put it into, into, into play and go through, bad ideas pretty quick and go right to the next one and just moving on and just progressing their design so quickly and overcoming challenges that they're finding day to day and just implementing things overnight just says something about the crew number one the crew that they have working for them and um really number two that the materials they have to work with you know carbon fiber titanium stuff like that that um like it just seems like a geometric progression of the technology so for the hydrofoil surfing standpoint of it, it just it made total sense to see what they were doing in a parallel universe, but the terminology was definitely a lot different. I got humbled a few times calling certain components or pieces of a foil. Uh, one thing I'm used to from surfing, like a foil mast, saying, oh, look, you can see the mast is ventilating over there and immediately getting scolded. Like, that's not a mast, that's a foil arm. <laughs> mass the mass holds the sail i'm like okay just, you know i'm a coot it's cool <laughs> tell me what i'm looking at then <laughs> but uh just it was really amazing to, to to see the parallels through through the two really separate sports but really doing the same thing which is getting up on a plane eliminating drag and, and hauling butt yeah i mean 
where we live, both of us in Florida, the efficiency of what a foil allows turns our coast into an absolute playground. And in looking at the evolution of gear in, so Jack from town just posted up, he celebrated his two year anniversary of foiling. Mine's coming up this month, next month, I guess will be two years for me foiling. And to see the gear change over these two years and how much more efficient, how much more refined it has gotten. I bet from your perspective in, you know, being on the front row of, of watching the evolution in a sale game, which has a lot more money and tech behind it probably brings a lot of optimism for what's headed into our surf foiling world, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, when I started foiling, I think the first foil I tried was a lift foil, one of the original kite foils. And one of the shops in town had one and they were pretty rare at the time. I was like, yeah, let me try this thing. You know, it's pretty, you know, real, real similar to what they still make that platform now, a real thin wing, but mid aspect or low aspect. And, um, I jumped on it with a kite board, swam it out into the surf. I think the surf was like three to four feet that day. Nobody told me you aren't supposed to foil in the surf. It's like, <laughs> just go for it. Um, get outside the break. I get up, you know, get humbled for about a day and a half and it finally clicks. And then it's just, I was, I was addicted. Like the first day I really got up and was spoiling. I think the waves were like you know, about chest high, maybe about a foot overhead that day. And you could feel the power of the wave already. You were just like, Whoa, when I get in front of the wave, it's just, there's something there. It just wants to kill the kite. It just, I want to speed past the kite. What is this that I'm feeling? What's the sensation? So, and that was even on the old, older rudimentary stuff. So that, as that stuff evolved, I think my, my first production foil that I bought was a slingshot. Um, it had basically aluminum mast, the uh, um, like the hover glide system and all that. And I was just addicted to it, rode that thing every day and in a surf and just started just having a blast with it. And um, really, evolution was kind of slow at the time, but right around the time I had the hover glide and was in the surf with it all the time, it started clicking in my head. That man, you could attach this to a surfboard. I, I can feel it. You know, it's, I'm using the kite so less. I'm using such a small kite, but the wing, you know, the wing size wasn't quite there yet for surfing. I think that's where, um, like with Alex Aguirre coming up with the larger plan form for a wing and making them larger and, and really pushing the envelope with the size of the wing and getting that lift out that you needed to just ride it without a wind powered piece of equipment and just roll into the face. So, I think my first kite surfboard, I'm sorry, my first foil specific surfboard only, no, no kite power, no nothing, was a slingshot dialer kite board. It's like a 510. I used a foil mount, which was the sticky back, you know, parallel track mount and a kite, like the same one I was using for kiting, the kite foil setup. So I'd paddle that honk out and in a lineup and started, it started working. And it was, it was a pretty, pretty small wing at the time and it was really fast it was like once you get it going it just it was gone but the first time you do a cutback on that system i was just like oh man i'm hooked i'm accelerating through the turns i'm like gliding over these sections like just insane just absolutely like you're just hungry for the next session no matter when it was you're just every day you're back out you're just invigorated so to see the progression from that and i, I knew at the time we had some pictures that we took and I'm looking at the board. It's like a 510. It's got volume. It looks just like a shoreboard with a foil stuck on it, which is essentially what it was. And 
looking at this picture, I'm on this right. My friend Jeremy had taken it and I was like, man, it's such a cool picture. Look at this. And I was thinking at the same time, I was like, this picture is going to look really dated at some point. I don't know when it's going to look really outdated. And realistically enough, within about a year, it was like, whoa, look at the size of that board. I cannot believe we rode those things. <laughs> you know, we're already back on the, you know, working our way down to like, you know, 311s and 36s and, and whatnot. And just, it, it looks classic. It looks, that's the traditional, you know, old school foil board, you know, and what I'm seeing now really with the, with the uh, evolution of the industry, it seems is everybody's working off each other. They're feeding off each other. Instagram has been a huge accelerant for this fire you know, that is, that is hydrofoiling. And I think it really lets people on a daily basis do a, a spot check. Where is design going? Where, what works, you know, feedback, all that, this, this loop is so integrated. Like if you're paying attention, it just, you can really ramp up your knowledge and the acceleration of the, the progression of it all, it seems. So really like, you know, most recently what with the Takuma, I think. Oh, <laughs> background noise. Yeah, yeah, my pup just ran in. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> it's the obligatory mocha visit there. during a podcast. It happens every time. Of course. My my dogs are being good right now, so they're chilling. But uh yeah, as far as progression of the wings, you know, that that wing size, the area, the volume, and the shape, we were just, you know, thinking about sticking them on surfboards and making them happen was right about the time I think Kyleni had really started busting loose with Alex Aguera and Alex was following him around in the channel. I think he had the like a long prone paddleboard or a sub paddleboard. Yep. They attached the wing to that and he was just paddling in doing downwinders already. And then by about the time the video broke where he did the more than one wave, you know, pumping back out and catching another wave, we had been doing surfing locally here a little bit and just making it happen. And then that video popped out. We're like, oh man, this is this is gonna stay. This is this is cool. <laughs> this is like more stuff's coming. What's going to happen in the industry? Like we need some stuff that actually works better. So you guys were foiling, surf foiling ahead of that video. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird because we were just, you know, my my buddy Billy and Jeremy, we're just kind of this group of local guys here. And Billy owns the kite shop at Good Breeze Kiteboarding, which is now foil outlet. And Jeremy is another stoked, you know, surfer. And, you know, we're just, this tight bunch, you know, like, Hey, you surfing? Hey, I'm going, you know, just kicking ideas off each other. So it was just, we had all the kite stuff available to our disposal, you know, like old pieces of this or that, just cobbling things together. And it just, it made sense. Like, okay, we need bigger wings. And then I think slingshot was one of the first ones beside GoFoil to start expanding into that larger hydrofoil wing lineup and stuff that was more feasible for paddling in and surfing. So we just really, we're just so hungry. We're just grabbing whatever we could to make it work. And, you know, each session you get better, you get more developed. You can go longer. You realize, okay, don't foil without a leash because this thing's going to surf in by itself, you know, (laughs) all kinds of, you know, learning stuff the hard way. But um, really it it started taking off on both sides. I think with GoFoil really pushing that envelope, what used to be like strictly like a wind sport or kite foiling. And now expanding into prone surfing, it just, they really came up with a great design early in and just his development, his progression at that time was just spot on. 
you know, the simplicity of it, the carbon fiber, the lightness, um, the shapes, everything was working. So he really was right in his wheelhouse when, when we rounded that corner. And it seems like what's happened lately is, you know, we've been in it for like two years, whatever. The industry has been like two years plus now of just a solid track with multiple, multiple companies across the board. And we're now seeing differentiation, which is that business model. You know, you want to be different, do something different kind of thing, which like Takuma with the biomimetic type wings. And you got high aspect now, I and mean, you got mid aspect and low aspect, which, you know, everybody's pushing toward high aspect for, you know, the last year or so. And then people want to surf. So they're trying to make high aspects work. So shapes are changing and designing, you know, designs are getting better at it. And, um, you know, it just, there's a place for everything. And that's, you know, really what you have to be paying attention to is just really everything works. Just some things work way better than others. Yeah. That makes sense. What are you most excited about right now when you look at the upcoming crop of, um, foils? Where, where the industry is headed? Like I said, I think it's it's that differentiation. Some companies are really refining what each mode. Because like we have all these disciplines now that are coming up in, in foiling. So you got downwinding, you've got kiting, you've got wing foiling, you've got prone surfing, you've got sub surfing, and then you got toe toe foiling. So you've got all these aspects. So each one kind of has its own good set of like that sweet spot of what kind of wing you should be riding for that day. So I think the high aspect guys are getting really refined with what works best. And then, you know, companies like Armstrong that are really looking at that mid aspect and that surfability and just that, just that solid surfing feel um, and refining the wings so that they don't have so much drag. So they really just carry through a turn and just keep going. They're still pumpable, you know, just refining those things. I guess the, uh, this word I'm looking for would be the, um, the deficiencies of each design mm-hmm. are getting squeezed out. They're, they're getting squeezed out incrementally. So if you have a mid aspect wing that was a little thick, well, guess what? They're going to make it a little bit thinner and maybe change the tips a little bit. So it has good pitch momentum and you can get turns in better. And then even like a high aspect wing, that's really just phenomenal for pumping. You can do things to the tips. You can do things to just little subtleties in the shape or like the little flared, um, wing tips that, you know, there'd be like a foil fencing or keep lift or shed bubbles better. So incrementally we're doing away with what has been wrong, what we're finding these deficiencies in our, our shapes are eventually going to be weeded out. So it's just, it, it's really great to see. Um, like I said, I've been, I've been on GoFoil, I think I rode for them basically as a team rider for a while now, like I guess two plus years and just, been so stoked on the product but um you know locally in town here our the shop's doing well and, and just the local support and just that that cohesiveness to make me more literate with what i'm doing with foils i felt i had to break break out of my comfort zone for for lack of a better word yeah you know i could just you know, super dialed in and then a couple sessions on a friend's board and you just kind of realize some things are different and in another session you're like you grab another like an armstrong setup or you grab a takuma and you're like oh there's something there it's like oh my gosh i have to have to get on it and it just if you have exclusivity as a team rider it does kind of lock you down a little bit but you know there's a, there's a time and a place for everything right and um you said i really did break out of my comfort zone by trying other things and really just you know putting on straps and you know little bit you know 
I was, I was a huge proponent of turtle boxes. I love the turtle box. I love how simple it is. It's clean. It's just, just the most simplistic thing. You know, that's why I was like so drawn to GoFoil was really four screws hold the whole entire system together. You got one screw for the front wing, one screw for the tail wing, and two screws that hold the turtle box into the board. That's it. You know, and it goes together with a light tap. It's tapered down to fit. It's so amazing how tight and how simple it was. And for me to go to a board with parallel boxes and a pedestal mount, I was just like, oh, that's, I thought we were past that with kite surfing and stuff. But now it's like, okay, industry standard, they've adopted it. So that's like the USB port of hydrofoiling is the parallel box system. Okay, I get it. But when I went to straps, it was instantly, okay, the straps have to relate to where the mass position is, where everything's totally off. So with tracks that can move up and down in my strap positions, I can dial in where like the 1850 wing needs to be or you know where the uh, the 1250 should be at in relation to my straps which board i use or whatever so that takes a lot of time and energy to figure that out which is typically like two or three sessions for each yeah. size wing and where the straps should be at and stuff what's your refinement process for figuring out where to put straps do you have a um, like an actual process that you do yeah so fortunately i've had the benefit of foiling for a while so i have a comfort stance a comfort you know positioning i know what a foil should do in a turn i know how it should feel it should feel like it's locked in and you know when i think you know what i'm talking about when you hit that curve just right you're like oh there it is i'm dialed in today you know proper wing size for the day proper wave size all those things came together so when i put straps in there it was like you know i'd line them up midline down the board and i was like i can't feel comfortable with something's wrong something's wrong and I'm, I'm i've got solar shots set up and i'm looking as something's off my stance is off i'm like okay cool is it forward or back okay move it forward move it back okay i didn't quite fix it i think the big eureka moment when i was when i realized my back foot should be off center line toward my toe side and my front foot is more pulled to my heel side but facing forward so i think when i foil with just surfing i'm like more kind of hips facing forward right my, I'm goofy foot, so my front foot is more heel side, and my back foot is more toe side as far as the midline of the board's considered. So when I put those straps in that position, it just it just locked in place. I was like, there it is. That feels totally comfortable. I feel like the straps aren't even there anymore. And then it was just a matter of finding the, the position on the mast itself, you know, forward and back on the board. Because once you lock in with straps, which I truly love being strapless, <laughs> is like the best. I love the simplicity. But on certain days when you want to boost or just jump, which is a totally new game for me as well in the last couple of months, just trying to push the, the air aspect of it. But finding that mass position, being comfortable and trying to cover it, most of your speeds of the board that you might get that day that you're kind of in the right spot, how to move your body too much, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. You know, one thing that I think about when I break down footage is that there are a lot of folks who foil like you, which is a little bit of an offset stance. And then I'm lined up perfectly on my stringer. Um, what do you think the benefits, and a lot of guys are, do it that way too, like very you know, centered on the stringer. What do you think your benefits are of having an offset stance? Have you ever thought through that? Yeah, there's like, I was kind of wondering about how that actually worked. So I think because of, I, Really, like when I went to the high aspect wings, they have a lot of, um, um, what do you call it, pitch moment? Yep. Where you, you got to initiate the turn, you got to use more force. You're going to just really crank on it. 
And when you first jump on a high aspect wing, that might throw you off a little bit, or you might get a reactive force. You go into the turn, next thing you know, it throws you over toe side. So I felt like I needed more leverage. So I started realizing I started bringing that, that stance, facing forward even more. I had more heel pressure on my front foot, and I could use my toe pressure on my back foot, depending on which way I want to initiate the turn. If I was going toe side, well, toe side's my back foot. I'm lean into it and go for it. And then I opposite for like a big, you know, carving around house going, you know, going to my heel side. So <clears throat> when I was on the web the other day, I think I saw it. There's a guy that I guess he's on like an endo board type thing, but it's on a, it's an inflatable round ball with a flat deck on it. I don't know if you've seen this, but he's standing totally midline. He's shaking, he's wobbling right away. And then he switches his feet, turns them 90 degrees, basically mm-hmm. faces them both forward. And he just locks into total stability. He's standing totally still. And I don't know the company. I can't remember it right off the top of my head, but that made sense to me. As soon as he switched his feet just a little bit, the stability increased. So to me, it's a lot more stability front to back as far and for left and right, just angling those feet out just a little bit off midline. Yeah. I move my feet a lot when I foil and I find that being right on the stringer helps me in um, being able to kind of position forward back a whole lot because I'll move my front foot a a good bit too. And it seems like you can always move your back foot. um, But that front foot movement, if you're not on the stringer tends to be a little bit more difficult. Uh, I also wonder if it's the gear that you started riding influences that at all. Um, Cause I never really felt the need to be off center like that. I know like Pedigo who I foil with all the time, he's a little off center. Um, yeah, I, I think it comes from like my front foot when, when it's, I'm typically centered, but I'm always kind of twisted. It's like, yeah, open. You know, my toes are more, yeah, it's just like it just twisted more clockwise to the, to the right on goofy foot. So yeah. the, yeah. um, the back foot, especially coming from GoFoil, because it's those with the length of the tail and the way I had mine set up, I was typically front foot heavy most of the time. And especially if I was towing, I was pretty much standing both feet in front of the mast. I just realized that from watching videos. I'm like, mm-hmm. whoa, I am really forward on this on this board, but it feels totally balanced. It feels it feels great. So when I went to the Armstrong, I felt like immediately my foot was behind the mast, the way it was set up, the way that the, the front to back ratio using what I'm right now, I'm using the 60 centimeter fuselage, which is the mid length. And it's it's a shorter foil base for lack of better word than you know, from front wing to back wing so it's a shorter foil base and i felt like i was standing more further back which made it a lot looser at all speeds but it also made it kind of squirrely when i was going really fast so instead of trying to perfect the equipment i try to perfect my swing that makes sense from golfing you know, mm-hmm. don't go buy a bunch of gear fix your swing first work on it focus on it and then you know modify your gear as you need to yep so i let my my brain absorb into this shorter fuselage and once I did that, everything smoothed out and it felt comparable to what I was used to with the GoFoil with the longer um, front to tail wing distance. And it, it feels great now. I'm right. And really, I've only been on Armstrong for, I think, maybe two and a half months, maybe if. And then with a really long flat spell in between. So I've probably got less than, you know, 20 sessions on the on the Armstrong gear. But I'm, I'm, I'm adapting to it when I feel pretty well and getting my performance level back up to where I was at with the GoFoil stuff. Yeah. This GoFoil stuff. Just it felt so second nature. I didn't even think about it. I'm like, okay, today is a Kai with a Kai tail. Or today is a GL140 with my 13 inch tail. 
and I got a little, you know, half degree of pitch or something in there. You would just look at the waves that day and know exactly what you need to put on. But with the Armstrong, it was like, oh, I'm outside my comfort zone. I was trying to call some people, you know. <laughs> what do you use when it's three feet? You know, kind of thing. But just really just time in the water really helps to fix that. The um, Have you played with the 50 Fuse yet? I had, I just got my first Armstrong setup. I've been riding the 1250, HS 1250 a good bit and um, just got the 50 Fuse for it. And have you been playing with that at all? I've had a couple sessions on the 50. and. I think on Billy's board from the shop, he's got a 50. And with me being around 205 pounds, I feel like it overpowers certain tails a lot easier than others. So like with the Armstrong, you got like a 232 and a 300 where you have a chopped version of the two. So I think when I rode his, it was like, I think he had the chopped 300 on it with a 1550 on a really small day. And it felt really cool, but man, it felt, super front to back twitchy yeah so i was kind of wobbling my way down the wave until i kind of settled in i needed more sessions than that on to get used to it but it felt super twitchy i was like oh it's super loose but man you could throw a thing in any of these turns and just just it you think what you want to do and it's doing it immediately you're, you're driving the foil you're, it's not driving you yeah so it gives you that that looseness and for me it was like okay that's a challenge i'll have to figure out you're growing into this you know this next level use a super short fuselage so it, there's something there but i think i tend to overpower certain tails with a short fuselage so i definitely need to go with a bigger tail if i go to a 50 i'm immediately on that chop 300 or even a 300 depending on what i need to use yeah i um i've been going back and forth between the 50 and the 60 and i like the feel of the 50 in surfing but i don't like it in the middle moments it, it tends to, I think everything gets a little bit smoother on the 60. The turns might be a little bit better on the 50, but the overall aesthetic, I like more on the 60. Um, I use the cane tail with a negative two shim on it. So I like a little extra lift on it. I like to move that balance point forward a bit, tighten up the turning radius. Um, and I like the pump a lot more on the 60 than on the 50. I find it almost like a chattery pump on the 50 and yeah. so i think i'm settling back in i think i'm just gonna ride the 60 on that for a while i actually think that hs 1250 is a very special wing my only complaint is that if you vent at all it's game over like in a turn bottom turn or like in a cutback and that's hard for me because a lot of the other stuff i ride like um the kajira just doesn't even care you don't even feel it um even like the yeah. lift 170 high aspect you can put a tip out pretty good and recover um and that bothers me that yeah. you, I think that their next version of that foil, if they can figure out how to keep it from that catastrophic loss of lift, the, like the Japanese elevator show, you've seen those where like people walk into the elevator, yeah. the bottom just drop. That's kind of what <laughs> I feel like when I, when I vent a tip on that foil. Uh, but if yeah. they get that dialed, it's going to be one of the best foils in the game for sure. Yeah. And I think in the new NL series from, from GoFoil, which I had some time on, you know, 130 and the 160. It just, you can eat the air like yep. nothing. It just, it sheds it off. And those little winglets they put on tends to do something magic with shedding bubbles. It just, it brings it back to lift pretty quick. Yep. But I, I did see the video, I think, where you're on the uh, the Kujira and you're like, your first turn, like you're going right. And you're just like, your wingtip's way out. You sprayed like, and you went straight back in like it was nothing. Yeah. The crazy so, part about that one was that the bottom turn was out and I didn't even know. 
yeah. you know, the bottom <laughs> turn and then the top turn were both tips out and, and I kind of didn't even know. Um, yeah. That was really my first good session on that foil. It took a long time to get dialed up with the whole base plate shim. Um, the foil is incredibly good. Uh, and I yeah. think that I, I had another couple hours on it yesterday and it's starting to feel really, really dialed. I'm starting to be able to kind of relax into it a little bit, not wondering where it's going to be. I know where it's going to be. I think another week or two and it's going to get, it's going to get better. I think. Yeah. It's the high aspect stuff's amazing that you, know, you can, you can peel it out. It's a clean design. It just, it just rips Yeah. with the, uh, with the anhedral, uh, wings, like say so they tend to trap air or something happens there where they kind of catastrophically just lose lift. And I think, I think it might've been foil wizard or somebody on one of the earlier podcasts. You said it, there's something there about speed and exit and just overcoming that issue. So yeah. I think us as riders, it's on us to try to figure out how to stop that from happening. And it might be a little bit extra hard whip or something or waiting the board, like you knowing you're going to be close to breach, just be ready for it. You know, I've, I've breached a few times with the anhedral stuff and, and actually cleaned it out. And I'm like, I don't know how I did that, but I just did it. <laughs> I just cleaned it. Yeah. I mean, guys are landing, they're landing airs and plopping in and the thing's just covered in air, but it cleans it out. So it is possible. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the 1250 is the best foil I felt for hitting foam. And in that regard, it slips sideways through the, through the water, super easy. And then it regains lift as soon as it gets deep enough. It just seems like it clears that on the, when you're dropping back in and then you can pop right back up on it. Um, it's in those like heavy turn moments when it vents, it's, it's more problematic. You know, Kane and I have been talking about that a lot over the last week and what he was saying, he's going to be coming back on soon and we're going to have a, a pretty deep conversation about this because I've learned a lot from him, but a lot of it has to do with the tip angle to the to the water as it breaches and so like the 1250 has that you know down tip angle so it's you want you want your tip to be as vertical as possible when it breaches because the more vertical it is the less water the less air it's going to vent across the the leading edge so like that down tip tends to suck in more air than say like a uh, like a wing tip on the NL or and he also said foil section has a lot to do with that both in the NL and then like the tubicles have something to do with that on the Takuma but um, the uh, the lift 200 surf is a good one where at the bottom they almost have that like little S to where it's like an anhedral but then right at the end it kind of almost curves back up so when you vent that tip because that wing will recover pretty easily when you vent that tip the tip is actually more vertical more of an angle. Um, to the, to the water surface. Um, so it brings in less water, which is pretty interesting it's playing around with like maybe putting some wing fences on, uh, that 1250 to see how it works. The other, the other thought was maybe just cut off the last inch of that foil, uh, of the wing tip and see what happens there. Yeah. I, I think you're onto something there. The, uh, that foil fencing, if you look, it's going to be really cool. And I hope Everybody here that even tunes into the show or is even foil oriented or a nerd of any sort starts looking at what's going on with America's Cup coming this year. And the product cup is the entryway to the America's Cup, which is happening this month. But if you look at anything, you know, NES Team UK, um, Emirates Team New Zealand, um, American Magic, look at their pictures, look at the wingtips on their foils, and look what those guys are doing. And this is top tier stuff. This is like Airbus, you know, Lunar Rossa Challenge. This is like, this is the the most money you could throw into the sport is happening right there. And they're not going to put money behind anything that doesn't work. So if you look at their foil tips and look at their shapes, you're going to be like, well, there's the future right there. 
And some of those are the, uh, the foil fencing, the, the flipped up tips, a little bit of anhedral, um, all those things are functional and they have moving parts as well. They have some flaps and some computerized, you know, servo based articulating surfaces to change lift at certain speeds and things, but it's just amazing how that technology is, is, uh, is evolving. I think we have something to learn and actually, you know, the sport of hydrofoil surfing is going to benefit from those experiences. Absolutely. It's, um, I was actually just watching raw footage of the America's cup. Um, I don't remember which team it was, but there was like a 20 minute video of it just kind of cruising around and you could see the, uh, you know, they, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a sailor, so I don't know any of the terminology whatsoever. So I apologize <laughs> to all the kiters and wing foilers out there who know everything, but when they're attacking or jiving or whatever, and the foils are coming in and out of the water, uh, just checking out all the foil design. It's a great, it's a great video. You can probably find it online. It's like 20 minutes of raw footage from about two weeks ago. Really yeah, beautiful stuff. Yeah. It's, it's insane. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just blown away. Every new video that comes out, I'm just like, and I've been exposed to this stuff pretty much more than the average guy might've been, but I'm still every day, like what's new, what's come. Oh my gosh. You know, just blown away that the speeds they're getting on these jibes and these tacks are just like, I can't wait to see this happen. We have match racing. We got two boats in the water at once. It's going to be nuts. That's sick. Do, do they, uh, they let you go into the garage and check everything out? Um, How locked down are they? Um, they're on lock. Um, you know, away from prying eyes, they had some pretty secure facilities. And, you know, in the early days, it, you know, we get out on the water and you'd see the spies out there. They'd be in a Zodiac. You got one single guy driving with a camera in one hand and the throttle in the other and <laughs> taking pictures. Like, and we try to block them out a little bit. You know, they couldn't really see what was going on. And, but, you know, they got their shots. It's kind of how the business evolves and it's to be expected. You know, everybody has spies in each country that kind of, that's their job. You know, it's a whole industry of around what's, what's coming next. So you kind of saw the boats evolve in certain ways. And there's some differentiation there between the teams. But the most significant designs are, you know, you know how to get number one, how to get power into the boat, and then number two, how to keep the drag to the minimum and keep lift. You know, even the lifting hole, you know, the actual shape of the boat is designed like a wing, so it, it lifts out of the water. So once it gets to speed, it's it's helping the foils keep it lifted, and that's the actual shape of the boat. Yeah, uh, you know, it's just that's something we don't really consider as far as surfing. We just want to paddle the thing, get it out of the water, and have it disappear. You know, and just get on foil. So just seeing those design elements come together and just, just the, the nuances that these guys were picking up on their 35 millimeter cameras, you know, and sending them back to base, back over their home country and stuff. And, you know, just trying to get the information out. So as far as us, you know, working there, um, like I said, I was just a medical you know, support team. And anytime the boat would go out and sail, I was, I was on chase, chase two. And so anytime it's in the water, I'm in the water too. It's just, you know, following it around at high speeds trying to stay warm but um like i said just really cool just such an incredible team to work with and even the top shelf sailors in the world are the most humble guys like you would ever meet if you were to see them at a bar or at walmart or something you wouldn't even know they were like a yachty like top shelf world-class guy <laughs> you just look like oh that's, you know it's just a guy that surfs in town okay cool <laughs> But once you see them in the water, you know, you see the difference. They're just so fluent at what they do, like the bowmen and the grinders and all those guys, just absolutely stellar human beings. You know, it was really cool to have met those guys and watch them even progress on the team. Um, 
it's a lot like Formula One, right? Where they come with a general list of requirements and then the teams get to iterate design on top of that. Yeah. So the defender basically sets the pace, you know, it comes up with a plan for the next cup. If you want to challenge us, step through these hoops, here's the design profiles and go from there. And you know, sometimes it gets revised over, over the period of the campaign before you get to the final that, you know, there's certain changes they find in the engineering or something they have to fix, you know, like that's impossible or this can be better. So they come up with these design constraints and all the, all the challenger, you know, you have your challenger record, you know, for this one, it was a uh, New Zealand's defending. And I think the challenger record was um, Luna Rasa, which is Italy. And then um, American magic stepped up as a challenger and NES team UK, which is Britain. And then there's even more that didn't, I want to throw their hat in the ring, but they didn't quite make it. There's, there's financing constraints and you know, all that stuff. It just, it's this massive logistical, competition is just absolutely amazing what they're, they're throwing at this race so um when they uh sorry i got sidetracked myself here <laughs> <laughs> back to the original question was uh repeat what the original question oh, was, oh i was just uh i was it's 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 like um you could they come out with specs for the next year and then people get to iterate yeah. on top of those specs so yeah, it's, exactly. it's unique design so, based around common core features like formula one. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the core feature that was in this, and I'm not the technical expert, leaving, I'm just, I'm just the medical guy, <laughs> but, uh, it was based around the foil assembly. They would all be homogenized. Like everybody uses the same foil strut assembly support system, all that stuff. You know, the servos, the, the containment system, the, the way it works. And the differentiation there could be in certain designs within actual foil wings and the surfaces and how they, they function. And in general terms, it just that's where the magic would start to happen is one team might have an advantage over another by certain shapes and you know certain profiles. So everybody has to prescribe to this program, which is, you know, if you want to race this race, this is what you do. And it's a, it's a shopping list, a list of ingredients. And they stipulate where things are not required to be exactly as everybody else. And that's where you'll see the differentiation. Yeah. That's why you see it slightly different hull shapes. And you'll see, you know, kind of an evolution of like everybody had the mule, which is, you know, the first boat testing the foils and stuff. I think UK's boat was what, 25 feet. And the American Magic boat was 38. And I believe the New Zealand boat was really significant in size and in comparison and to watch those designs evolve and the time on the water that each team was getting was just like you see the differentiation in the the team design the personality of each team start to come out like okay cool this is gonna be a cool race in like three years or whatever it is so see that that design constraint even though it was very refined and very specific to see that there's differentiation even in that is what we're going to see you know coming up this month and into the America's Cup into um, in March and April of uh, twenty one. Right on. Let's uh, let's switch gears and go into your area of expertise. You're um, avid tow foiler, and there's a lot of risks that come with tow foil. Let's talk through common foil injuries and what you think everyone should be doing for safety um, when you're out towing. <laughs> 
you know, like what are the, your uh, recommended Latham's recommended guidelines <laughs> for, for tow foiling? Well, um, you being a firefighter and paramedic on a coastal community, you kind of learn to rise to the occasion. So back in 98, when I was hired at Cocoa Beach, we had a sort of a program. It was just kind of like, Hey, we get these calls, so we have to respond to them. So here's the best way we see to do it. We had rescue paddle boards, you know, swim things, lifeguard rescue cans, you know, all your basic shoreline type rescue stuff. You know, when you added the, the jet ski into it, you had a motor vehicle, it's on a trailer. You got to get down through soft sand. You got to be able to handle it, launch it, land it, and pretty much be self-sufficient on your own. So here you're basically taking a grand piano down into breaking surf and trying to roll into the surf by yourself. You get used to, you know, what works and what doesn't, where your hand should go and where your hand shouldn't go, you know, what side of the boat you should stand on and breaking surf versus, you know, you're just kind of working with the elements, you know, and if you get in the wrong spot, you're going to get hurt. You know, you'll take out an ankle, a leg, you're going to break something. And we've had injuries over the years that, you know, as we were evolving our format, um, I believe the Hawaiian Lifeguard Association was doing a phenomenal job at standardizing this format. And if anybody can get a copy of this book or find it online or they borrow, steal it. If someone's on Oahu, go talk to your fire department because they have it. But it's the, uh, the personal water rescue craft instructor manual. And it is an absolute resource of information. And that basic textbook that they developed on, you know, on their own agency has now become the national standard, which is national fire protection association, tech rescue standards that most fire departments ascribe to. It's pretty much the written word out of that book and that design that, um, that the, the class design, the instructor elements, everything is all there. And so we based our program off of that in Florida. You know, we don't have the huge breaking surf. We don't have, you know, Wyman or shore or anything like that, but we have significant rip currents. We have a population that moves out into the ocean and, you know, exposes themselves to risk. So we stepped up and modified our team to fit that format. So my recommendation is, you know, as we go out and tow foil is to be an element or degree of that. Be self-sufficient. Don't be the guy that breaks your team. Um, you're always aware. Your eyes are never off the ocean. As far as equipment goes, um, I feel like a jet ski is just a, it's a personal watercraft until you put a rescue sled on it. You put a rescue sled on it, it becomes a rescue watercraft, a very capable machine of doing pretty much anything you throw at it. Um, whether it's tiny, small surf, it doesn't matter, you know you know, to up to overhead waves, that sled gives you so much capability of, um, number one, making it easy to carry boards, but number two, picking somebody up rapidly and getting them out of the, and get them off the X out of the impact zone if you have to. And then, um, so rescue sled, um, of course your ski rope, have a decent ski rope, perfect length, you know, work with your, your length. Don't suck up the rope, which is pretty much rule number one. You know, be very cognizant where the rope is at all times. And, um, you know, just really good, you know, teamwork around the boat and having your partner be able to, to, if you fall off, have him be able to just jump up and key in and plug in and go and be ready to rescue you. If you were driving like two seconds ago, he can, you can switch roles nice and easy. So being really fluent with driving the craft and, and doing those rescue pickups is just paramount. But we go to another spot. It's pretty far offshore. And I think on some of the islands, you, you get pretty far away from port and you might have a cliff face or something that you can't really go straight into the beach. You might have to go two miles away or something. 
So the team has to be self-sufficient, you know, and I, I carry an ICOM personal radio, like a VHF radio. Um, I usually have an iPhone inside of a Ziploc bag or some kind of waterproof case, um, a tow rope, an anchor, you know, and a tow rope is basically something I can latch on to somebody else's ski and, and bring them in if they break down, or I can use it for me. If I break down, somebody, I can hook it into somebody else or a boat and really swim bends, you know, alternate power source, you break down, guess what? You're going to swim that thing back in. You're going to or swim it out of an impact zone if you have to. And, um, you know, certain elements on the boat too, as well. We, we keep a, like a tow eye loop on the front of the jet ski. It's about, it's a loop of webbing and it can be about, you know, like maybe about a foot and a half, maybe two feet long. And it's just a good anchor point. It's, it's like a mechanical advantage if you're on the beach or, and you're trying to move this jet ski, you grab that loop, you can spin that thing around and gives you a lot more leverage and power and just knowing how to handle the, the boat when it's in less than ideal conditions. But most of the stuff I've learned um, over the years uh, is still in practice every day. I've been fortunate enough to learn um, a lot from my buddy Glenn, Glenn Evans. Um, he's now living in Portugal, and he was a, the main aquacross uh, jet ski racing course marshal. Uh, phenomenal experience. He's, you know, the Irish toe surf teams over in Mullamore, working close to Peter Conroy and all those guys. And just he is so literate with doing rescue and toe surfing on jet skis that you spend five minutes with a guy and you're going to go advance your knowledge by like two years. <laughs> Just one of those really good resources. And I'm very grateful to have worked with him you know, at length considerably. And um, I've had a couple of fun tow days here up around the Cape and stuff when he's been in town. So he does come around town to time, but you know, I always really lean on the guys that are experienced. Um, if they're more experienced than you, just just listen up and, and hit them with questions and have them work with you. Because believe me, they're going to want other guys around them that are capable as well. What about injuries on the ski? And uh, one thing I'll note real quick is that uh, anytime I am going to be out more than just kind of at the beach break behind the house, I always I have a iWatch and Apple Watch that I have a SIM card in. So I can use it as a safety device. I can call from the lineup or from the shoals or I do shore runners and we'll call to get picked up. But it's so, it's so nice to have that, you know, instant ability on your wrist to be able to make a phone call in case of emergency. So I think that's like for anyone who's you know going to be close to um, cell towers where you are, it's, it's a really easy way to have communication. Um, but what about injuries on the ski um at what point do you call for help versus get someone out of the water um what are the most common foil injuries that you see and do you have you carry safety equipment with you in that regard like first aid equipment yeah well i keep it basic um if we have a if we go out for a long day we'll you know we'll bring a boat and multiple skis it's kind of like a team kind of work with the boat like a mothership and we have a really good friend of ours in town here who's ready to go at any time he's just He's, he's a little older than the rest of us, but he's the biggest grom and he's just always down to charge. So when we get the call up and say, Hey, conditions are good. Let's go. It's like, that's the format, a mothership and two or three or maybe more jet skis. So all the foils go onto the boat. We have a, a rudimentary first aid kit. You want to get too complex. Um, and you're carrying too much gear and some of it goes bad over time and, you know, just, you know, it just gets to be a, a mess. But, um, you know, we, we've had injuries that we dealt with and say one of them was a, um, 
uh, it was actually a ski rope injury. And, and one of our guys said, you know, don't be that guy kind of deal. You know, somebody had sucked up a rope. You know, rule number one, don't suck up a rope on your jet ski. Unfortunately, it happened. The conditions were such that it just, it just happened. So it disabled the entire ski. So we'll have to tow the ski miles back into port once we're done with the session, but tie it up to the mothership and you know, we're good. We'll jump those guys on our, in our rotation and keep, keep surfing for the day. Well, <clears throat> one of our best buddies, phenomenal waterman, you know, really well knowledgeable guy, jumps in the water, goes to grab the jet ski, pull it close to the boat, and he's getting ready to tie a loop in the water. And you know, this swell action, there's wave action. And while his hand was somehow in the road, maybe inside the loop doing a bowline or whatever, the, the boat went one way and the ski went the other, and his thumb got caught in the middle. So it just popped the tip of his thumb right off. And mm. I was about 10 feet away from him when that happened, and I was like, look at him. He didn't look right. He goes, I'm hurt. He goes, I'm hurt. He looks up, looks right at me. I'm like, Oh crap. Okay. Straight over to him. He's holding it. I'm like, you gotta let me see it. And he shows it to me. I'm like, okay, significant. Okay. It's, it's a good, you know, inch of his, his, his thumbs pretty much gone. So of course I had the rescue sled, pulled him right up on it and rescue sled up to the side of the boat. He hops onto the boat. Pretty easy to get somebody out of the water that way. Um, I jump on the boat with him, look at it. And I said, do you have a first aid kit? And he was, yeah, I got it. I just built it last night. Wow. So I look in his first aid kit and he has exactly what I need. I think he has some chlorhexidine wash or some kind of anti-infective stuff. Cause if you're in the ocean, it's just nasty. It's hundred percent infection rate. If you don't get it cleaned up, you know, any kind of animal bite, you're definitely going to get infected. But in a gnarly cut, like he had, it was like, okay, put your thumb over the side. It's going to hurt. Let's go. And we're about seven miles offshore at this point. And so the shoals are pretty far out where we're at. So anyway, Cleaned it out, um, put a dry compress over the top of it, wrapped it up. I said, okay, I'm bringing you straight in. Let's start making our phone calls. Let's get you to shore. So we had about 12 people on the boat that day. But um, I think it was myself, Brian Grubb, um, phenomenal, another phenomenal athlete. And he jumps on another ski in case my ski breaks down. So two skis going into the beach, you know, into the port, which is a seven-mile run one way. And stayed together. And everybody was chill, made our phone calls. We dropped off our guy. He gets in the car, driving himself to the hospital and, you know, phone calls, everything's seamless. You know, we're talking back to the guys out in the water and, you know, basically dropped him off. He got fixed. He thankfully has healed a hundred percent, which is phenomenal. And like his thumb grew back and everything. It was just, it's, it's amazing. It's a really wow. cool story what he went through and, you know, it's kind of a little rough going for a while and stayed out of the water for a while. But yeah, that was a significant injury that we definitely saw. And that was, like I said, having your hands inside of a moving part. And just the wrong time. You don't, you don't take those chances. And the further away from shore that you are, you want to give yourself some, some room, you know, should you go and send it really hard when you're five miles out versus when you're at the beach, you know, and you're basically a walk into shore versus, you know, being out five miles. So anybody that comes with us kind of gets that talk, you know, like, Hey, are you squared away? Do not suck up your rope. Are you, I'm looking at your boat. I'm looking at your gear. I'm looking at your life vest. I'm, you know, analyzing everybody before we go out kind of deal. And if somebody looks off, I will tell them immediately, you know, it's not about being cool. It's about being safe. And we want everybody to have a positive experience. So, Hey, you know, you need this. Guess what? I have an extra one. Here's an extra set of, you know, here's a tow rope. Here's, here's, you know, whatever. But, um, as far as other foiling injuries, really, um, you just, just think about it. Sky's the limit, you know, just like with surfing. Um, over history, I've been more injured myself surfing, regular surfboard stuff than I ever have foiling and knock on wood. 
Yep. I have taken some, taken some cuts, you know, mostly to the shins. Um, one cut maybe required stitches on a shin. Um, strapless airs get hit in the back of the head and more than once that said, don't do strapless airs anymore. That's why I'm on straps now, but, uh, it is possible. Keep pushing it young guys, but you know, be safe. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, we hit the water at velocities that you don't realize how fast you're going. So you can tweak a back. Um, you can really just, you bend yourself in places. You don't realize it because we have so much kinetic force when we're hitting the water at 25 versus, you know, just a regular surfboard on a chest high day and you're going to go, you know, 15. That's, that's an interesting, um, it's an interesting point there. And one of the questions in a buddy of mine who toe foils all the time, um, always wears a helmet and I, I don't wear a helmet much when I foil. I find that the helmet, the, at the speeds that you hit the water at, the helmet gives me a much worse brain rattle than if I'm not wearing a helmet. And I do that all the time, um, versus, um, you know, maybe hitting your board once or twice. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I think if you feel inclined to wear a helmet, then by all means do it. Don't let somebody shame you out of it. There's better, there's good helmets out there. There's some soft ones. They're good for cut protection and anything between your head and anything you might strike, whether it's the bottom or a boat or a wing or an actual board is going to be a benefit. So, um, first thing off, don't ever laugh at anybody wearing a helmet. It's like, no, definitely not. Thumbs up. Be like, dude, that's awesome. You know? Um, but as far as, you know, if your helmet's unwieldy or it's just heavy or something like that. Um, for example, like on jet skis, there's certain types of helmets that are really kind of a bad idea to have. Um, you know, cause you basically come off your ski at 50 miles an hour and you hit the water. Well, guess what? Now you got this big giant face piece out in front or part of the helmet, like a visor that will grab the water and just go that direction immediately. Well, it's attached to your head, which your head's attached to your neck, your neck's attached to your body. So the weak point, the fusible link there is going to be your neck. So if your visor doesn't flip off, it's going to grab the water and, and, and twist. So you really cognizant about what kind of gear you grab. And um, I think ProTech makes a really good wake, wakeboard style helmet. Those are awesome. And anything much more than that for a jet ski is, is kind of, um, you know, it's something to be considered. So be smart about what you actually grab and put on your head and think of it hitting the water at speed, you know, not something hitting you, but think about what the helmet does when it hits the water and what it does to the rest of your body. So that's something some guys don't really think about, but there's some pretty good neck sprains and you know, the like with actual speed injuries and hydraulic injuries with, with a helmet. Yeah. I feel like I get like micro concussions when I'm wearing a helmet and you come off at speed and you kind of slap the water tend to not penetrate. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's probably, we're just hitting the water so hard. I, I've had my bell rung a couple of times, just, just from water. Yeah. Just too. coming up like, man, I'm like double vision right now. What did I do? You know? <laughs> See white <laughs> just for a second. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I, that was just water, you know? And you know, here we're at Florida, you know, it's just Nazar Bay. It's not Mavericks. No, you it's know, it's, you know, it may be like maybe three feet overhead, but we're getting so much power out of the, uh, the surf. We're extracting so much power out of the, the, the wave itself, the energy that the energy equation makes sense. It is equal to being on like a regular surfboard at, you know, one is, you know, 12 foot yep. versus being on foil when it's six. Yep. So there's, there's some equivalencies there that we really have to be cognizant of and um, just really learn how to fall. 
And that's really one of the big things I kind of, you know, people that want to learn how to foil is, you know, I talk about it all the time. It's like 10 and two and like five to seven. You know, don't be falling off the board anywhere from, you know, two o'clock to five o'clock. You know, don't go to the right. Don't go to the left. If you do that, foil falls in half and end up falling on the wing. So if you're going to fall off, go out the back or go out the front and the board will react accordingly. You know, make yourself smaller, tuck into a ball, protect your, your, uh, your vital spots. <laughs> but, um, it's just so random, you know, like when you fall on a foil, it goes in weird places, you know, and it's just, yeah, it, it's kind of scary looking at wipeouts sometimes, but you're like, well, that was close, but I didn't get hit. So I guess I did something right. <laughs> I had a bad taco the other day where the 1250 like cut my wetsuit, uh, top in, uh, like my side, my, my, um, left foot, like my left hip right there. I'm really happy I had on a wetsuit top when that happened. Um, let's transition into progression and foiling and, you know, following your progress on, you know, clips you're posting on Instagram. Let's talk about what you've learned in, you know, in the last six to 12 months. It seems like you've gotten a lot better over the last six to 12 months. What's your framework for progression? How do you practice? Is there a, an actual mode in which you think about practice? Um, just kind of go um, through I your think, your process. Well, I appreciate the positive words for uh, saying I'm progressing and getting better. <laughs> it's just, you, I mean, you you're throwing people. like huge airs now. That wasn't going well, on a year I, ago. Yeah. Well, I think what happened with that was just once I got on straps, yeah. and that was a huge difference. But I yeah. think if cause my boards aren't set up with the GoPro boards, they're not set up for straps. But I think I'd be somewhere close with the same. But I, I do believe the the mid aspect and anhedral wings lend themselves more to a surface style than the high aspect wings do. And the high aspect wings are just like nothing's faster. Nothing's like, you know, huge arcing turns on like the GL series. They're just yeah. like bar nine. Up, you know, it's just such a cool feeling. But when you want to get tight inside the pocket, you want to really start playing with that, that fuselage length and the anhedral. I think all those elements kind of come together and feel super tight in the pocket. It's still staying lifty. And I've looked at older footage and it's one thing I, you know, I, I try to get as much footage of myself. It's more for me learning because I, you can't really watch yourself unless you're actually being filmed. And you, what you might think was a good day and really good progression. And you see it on video and you're like, wow, I screwed that up. Now that's just, you know, I'm deleting this whole entire card, you know, but certain things work. And so you latch onto them. And I think foil wizard even followed his progression. I think I'm sort of the same. It's like when you see things out of place, like, Oh, my, my arm position is crazy. I got an arm that's high on this turn. I'm, I need to push it down. And so what you do is you focus on exaggerating that movement. The next time you go out, like I got to push my left arm down. Guess what? I'm going to push it down on my hip. And what that ends up doing is in actual progress, you know, actual practice, it's right in the right position. So you try to, you know, over-exaggerate the movements that you want to fix, and then you'll kind of fall into a neutral position. So the video stuff does tend to help, and it's not always available, but it, it does work. And um, but looking back at some of the progression stuff, um, really. I think some of the bigger days we've had towing and had some really good drone footage. Um, my buddy Alec is just a phenomenal drone pilot and I am grateful for having him in town because he is, he gives such a good aspect of how to 
film and how to view like the environment that we deal with with foil surfing is so huge and dynamic and fast and just covers so much ground that you need a drone really to track in certain areas. And there's guys all over the planet that are really phenomenal at it, but it gives you such a good intuitive shot of what you're doing at that particular moment. And what I would see with some of my, um, some of the ways I would be on a big sweeping left and cut back right and go into the pit, basically try to get as close as I can come out the bottom of that and go back left again. As I'm making my bottom turn, I'm looking at the peak, I'm coming up to it and all of a sudden I'm out of power. I'm like, why am I losing power? Like, what am I doing wrong? Is it my gear or is it me? Or is it something with the energy transfer of the wave from the trough to the crest? Am I, am I not catching something I should be seeing right now? And it was this consistent thing. I'd be like, I'd fade back and go to hit the peak. And all of a sudden I'm like, just drop it off. And I'm like, it's when I'm moving slow then I'm going with, the water movement going up the face. So you're kind of like stalling two things out at once, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're shooting up the face, but you're also moving in non-moving water because you're not, you're not in that resistance point of the water. You're not, you're going with the water rather than going against it, which would decrease your lift. So I started thinking that, okay, maybe the high aspect versus the medium aspect might have that carryability in that spot. And I think that's what I started latching onto. I'm like, okay, I got to explore more with the medium aspect stuff. So at the time I want to start putting straps on and dealing with medium aspect. Well, the closest thing I'd felt with that was some of my buddies, Armstrong wings. And so I was like, okay, let me try that thing again. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I think it's there. I think there's something with that. Let's go down that path. And that's where I've been doing for the last, you know, two or three months is just exploring that again. And with the GoFoil stuff, it just really got really phenomenal with a high aspect, you know, the, the, the pump 180, um, just a big guy like me, 205 pounds, and I'm pumping around for like two or three minutes. is just like unheard of. I'm like, whoa, this thing really is phenomenal. But I get in the surf, and it was like, okay, it's not really designed for that. It's, I can make it work, but it's, it's some work. But um, <clears throat> going back to the, like you said, the medium aspect, there was something there. And GoFoil had made the Kai series and their lifting series, the Kai, the Maliko, the Eva, which is their original series. And got so dialed in with that. And I was riding the Kai all the time. And there's even guys in Hawaii that were messaging me saying, how are you riding the Kai? It's only like chest high, like, or it's waist high. How are you riding the Kai? I was like, get it going fast enough. It's going to work. So I could paddle it in, kick it into gear, just keep up that speed momentum. And then it just had the lift aspect. It was just really all on at that certain speed rate. So I think once I hit that dead spot on the bigger surf, I was like, man, I got I to gotta have a wing that carries through that. So I started thinking back more toward the Kai and really everybody's seemed like the whole industry went high aspect for like the last, you know, 10 months, everybody's focused on it, hyper-focused. And I think Armstrong had been slower to adopt to the high aspect because I think they know that they have a formula that works. And I think there's some evolution to be done within the medium aspect range that lends itself very well to surfing. So once I got a wing that kind of fits what I feel like my style or where I want to be at started like clicking. I'm like, okay, cool. There we are. I'm in the pocket. I'm going in. Okay. I can get vertical. I can do my turn. Oh, and I can plug in a shorter fuselage whenever I want to in this series. Cause you know, that brand has three different sizes. I could switch it up and GoFoil does have a different size fuselage. You can click in. It's a shorter tail. And I believe there's probably something on the horizon knowing Alex is going to come up with something that's totally stellar within the six, next six months or eight months, I'm assuming. But you know, it's just everybody has that ability to progress their their product and their design as they see fit. 
But for me, it was just like, okay, this is right now. I can pull this off the shelf and use it. So I started using that. And then after all those years, I'd say last all these years, last year and a half, two years of dialing in the gear with the what I was doing, big sweeps, roundhouses, and staying really connected to the power of the wave, as soon as I put straps on and got into another surfy wing, all of a sudden I had all this power. And I could just project over the lip, and I'm just like, whoa, these are kite jumps, and I have no kite. What is going on? <laughs> I'm flying so high, and I'm like, okay, I'm launching like crazy. And then I got a DM, I think, from Foil Wizard one day. He goes, hey, man, you're jumping around a lot. you to start landing them. <laughs> I'm like, I know. I know, but I don't know how. I, I got to figure this out. <laughs> but I had a, I think we had a session with um, Austin Tovey one day, and um, which is just insane. Him and Noah Flegel are just like going nuts. They're going absolutely ham on landing errors and backflips and stuff. And seeing what he was doing in person, I was just like, it's right there. It's like right under the surface. I'm, I'm so close to it. And you know, through that and a little bit of coaching over DM, I've, I've been landing them pretty good. They, they're ugly, but I'm there. I'm so close. I'm within like probably two good swells away from being consistent at it, but nothing worthy of posting <laughs> that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, something you mentioned there about the feel on the, on the Armstrong wrapping back into the pocket. I think part of that is because at least on the 12, do you have the 1250 HS? Yeah, I have that. Yeah. I mean, that wing is just so efficient. I like, it feels really slippery through the water to me. It, um, I don't feel like I lose any speed at all in carving. So it, it's, it's my favorite thing about that foil is when you're wrapping it back, it's, it's just, just, it feels like there's no drag, at least the way I have it set up with the cane tail and the whole thing. It just, it really feels slippery. And so I've always got speed on tap. Um, it also feels really fast in steep sections too. One of the faster foils I've ridden and really well balanced, which I like a lot. Um, but yeah, like coming back into the pocket on that foil, just have an abundance of speed, which I really like. Yeah. Um, it's, that's what's fun. And I've got, like I said, my brain works in a certain way, like what I'm used to and where I want to go. And I've just got like this, this flow section is that, that cut back into the pocket where now if I'm wearing straps, it's like sky's the limit you yeah. gap over back over the white water and land on the other side and, and take a right or whatever. But your brain works that way. But in reality, it's like, how can I make this functionally happen? But, um, yeah, the 1250, I have not as much time on as I do like the 1550 and the 1050. And, um, the 1250 really does, after having time on the NL160 and the NL130, they're very similar, like very, very similar. I think the 1250 has more anhedral, mm -hmm. and it's dihedral right off the mast, like the center. It's got a little dihedral that comes up off the um, horizontal plane, and then it drops back down into anhedral toward the tips, yep. whereas the NL is pretty flat all the way straight yeah. across. So I, the, those two differences, but the, the plan shape is very close. And... <laughs> I think that little okay. bit of dihedral is what let, lets it roll over so quick. It's so quick rail to rail. Yeah. And I, I missed that a lot when I started really riding the GLs. It threw me off for a bit. My first GL wing was a 180. And I remember calling Alex going, man, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm coming off the kite and I'm on his GL. And he's like, just stick with it. You know, that practice your swing part of it. Like, figure this out. It's 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 not the wing, it's you. I was like, okay, cool. I'll adapt to it. I'll, I'll figure it out. And then once I adapt to it, I was like, okay, cool. I get it. This thing's a really fun wing. You know, the, the 180 was a little bit, I think, upper middle of the GL sizes. 
they start whipping it around and they're just having a blast on it. But the, uh, the, the inertial, that pitch moment where you, the, the pressure it takes you to turn in to actually initiate the turn is, you know, it was high with the GL. You really had to flick it and bend it in, you know, at least on the bigger sizes, the 140 and the 160 or the 140 and the 120, not, not much at all. Right. Pretty much felt like a Kai, but the, uh, with the 1250 HS, um, I, winged on it more than i've surfed it put it that way and it's pretty much my go-to wing foil wing mm-hmm. it's fast it's um and for a 1250 size you know wing to be using for for that seems kind of large i think it's equivalent to probably an nl 160 i think pettigo held them up together one day um but the uh the speed and the maneuverability off that thing while winging is just incredible and i push that thing to the max like i all I have is a six meter ozone. So whether it's blowing 30 or blowing <laughs> 18, I'm on the same wing. I'll, I'll borrow a wing on occasion, but I've got that the six meter. So when I get it powered up, I'm locked in and I'm just like just hammering it, you know, on a, you know, close, close haul to broad reach. I'm just like, you know, going mock speed and that, that wing just seems to, to eat it up. It just, it loves it. And, um, vertical pitch sections and everything with that 60 fuselage and, uh, um, the two three two tail. I'll ride the two thirty two when I'm when I'm on the the wing because it just seems like no drag. But um, I've I've got to get more surf sessions on the on the uh, twelve fifty. I think I'll like it. I just you know it, it is a certain plan form that's similar to the shape that I I came from, and I'm really working on the you know, the anhedral, the surfy wings, the mid aspect. I think that twelve fifty kind of breaks that mold just a little bit more into a high aspect range, but not quite there. It's like it's like an upper mid aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely has some of the advantages in pumping of more high aspect wings, but then it's kind of whippy. Um, do yeah, you I think the, it's a good mix. Yeah. Do you ride the two thirty two tail that much? I didn't like the foil until I, until I cut the tail down to two twelve, and then then I started to really like it. Um, and I don't know wow. if that's just because of the um, twelve fifty, if it's me, or um, if if other folks feel the same way. Yeah. What's your body weight? Um, 185, 180, 185 right now, but mostly I was riding a lot in a wetsuit up North and a heavy wetsuit. So probably, you know, 195. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're close to about, you know, we're about the same. Yeah. Um, I feel like right now and I'm still getting used to it and it's about that efficiency, you know, you get more efficient the longer you're on it. And then those little nuances start to, you know, it'll, it'll clean up your riding. Like I said, that perfect your swing, you know, don't, don't modify your gear too much. So for me, the 232 was feeling a little bit on the small-ish side with the 60 fuselage. Mm-hmm. And when I went to the 300, it felt draggy and big. So when I cut the 300 down, um, exactly where the lines are on the chop shop, um, it felt pretty good. It feels great for surfing. But the 232 tail is way, way more cleaner in the water. And for contrast and comparison, the GoFoil tails are very, very, very clean in the water, very low profile, extremely slippery. And, um, it's just a matter of how wide they are, you know, basically gives you your lift, but I could feel on the GoFoil stuff was when I would go out with a small a tail that was too small for conditions, I would get this up down pitch moment. Like it was hard to control. I'd just be like, okay, I'm nose is going down, gives some tail movement. And all of a sudden I'm in this, you know, this pilot induced oscillation where you're just like up, down, up, down, up, down. And you're like, next thing you know, you're out of control. You're like not having fun. So then when you get something that is the right size and I have not tried any of the, um, the cane to wild tails or anything like that. When you're perfectly dialed in with your tail, that goes away. You become so stable. 
Mm-hmm. And then it's a matter of how much drag your tail's throwing into your whole system. So my body weight, really, I felt like I was overpowering the 232 in the surf. And I tried it with, you know, my, in my limited time so far, but the 1850 and now um, the 1550. And it felt a little bit on the small side for, for pumping. Yeah. But when I towed with it, on the, I towed with a 1050, with the 232. And I pushed that thing as hard as I could, you know, yanking off the, the ski as hard, as fast as I could, whatever. I, I, did, I felt like there's no upper threshold of that thing yet. And I just feel like it's a good, really good tow system. Is that 1050 with a 232? Oh, uh, it's epic. Yeah, um, I just not. And even even slow speed, it was still holding it well. And it felt good for tow. But when I compared the two back to my history with the Kai Wing and the, the original GoFoil setups, you know, I, I feel like I need to really push myself to start riding the 1050 in regular surf more. I always go on the 1550. It's a bigger wing, and it's so easy to ride. And then I can push it in some pretty big surf. But the 1050, I think, is going to be that magic, you know, that Kai size. It's like that that medium to lower size wing that I can I can make it work. And I've had I've had a fun day surfing on it so far. It's like pretty impressed. Everybody loves but, that wing. A lot of yeah. folks say swear it's the best surf wing. Um, I have yeah. yet to ride it. I think it was, uh, I think Jimmy Reha, um, he DM'd me. He was like, what do you think about the 1050? I ride it everywhere. I was like, man, okay, let me try this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can agree. It's like, it's got some magic. You know, it's one of those magic wings. It really is a huge range. Yeah. I um I did some cool testing yesterday on the um Kajira where I took out the 13.5 cane tail and the 15 cane tail and um got a couple clips on on both of them and it was um so much more efficient to pump the 15. Like the whole thing just looks breezy. Um was able to like really relax into the pump, didn't look like I was stressing at all, covering more distance. But then you can see like the turning radius just lengthen out. And so it's such a, I'm wondering if maybe I shim that up a little bit, give the turning radius, um, a little tighter arc, if, if that might be the money, because that pump and glide is so addictive, but then it just, it suffers in the turn. Um, I guess that's yeah. always the trade though. I mean, yeah. And it's, it, it's weird. I, I, I think in about a year we'll be able to figure out, you know, exactly. Is it my front wing? Is it my back wing? You know, is it my, my fuselage link? And everybody, you know, it's kind of coming to that nexus at some point where it's going to be, you know, we'll be able to talk as fluently about, you know, our six, three thruster versus our six, three quad when it's, you know, when it's a foot overhead and it's barreling versus when it's a slopey breaking way, we ought to just choose the gear right away. And everybody's going to be on pretty much the same page. Yep. And it's just, they like said, it gets frustrating when you choose the wrong gear and you go out and like the day before you had the most phenomenal session of your life, you're like, Oh my God, I'm in love with this sport. And the next day you go out with the same setup, just the conditions are slightly different. There might be more rip in the water, might be more bubbles, who knows what it is. And you have the absolute worst session of your life. You want to throw your gear away. (laughs) You're like, what was the change? What what did I do? You know, and you've got to get your head wrapped around it. It's just these little nuances. There's so many moving parts and you have to be consistent with how we attack, what we change and even how we think about what we're doing. (laughs) You know, you got to keep it grounded in reality. Yeah. I just had a shocker the other day. Pedigo came up and we foiled and it was really small and I wanted to ride a foil that um, I hadn't ridden in a little bit, a little smaller, more of a surf foil. And I just was so bad. He was just foiling circles around me 
And I was too stubborn to go in and change. I was like, I'm gonna make this thing work. I got a couple good good turns off on it, but overall, it was a really bad session. And um, <laughs> the next day, when I got the Kajira finally dialed in, I was like, how to just you know, in small surf, you need more glide. Can't ride little little wings in small surf. It's not as fun. No, it's not. But yeah, a, a note on that: you know, surfing with Mike Pettigo, he will make you feel like you have a bad session. <laughs> he is a powerhouse. He can pump. He can. He'll just ride circles around you. So yeah, he take can that pump for sure. <laughs> we just we've had a couple events together and stuff, and I'm like, how is he getting? He's still going. Like, how is he still pumping? You know, and just some phenomenal guys in the industry, like you know Austin Kalama and John Ackerman and guys like that, and you're just like really like okay i'm so deficient at pumping i hate pumping i don't know what's going on <laughs> i think he just does but, squats yeah. all day long it's just what he does yeah crossfit it's just and it is it is truly you do have to do lifestyle modification if you want to get into foiling it, it's you've got to fix your diet you got to stay you got to stay fit yeah you know you just can't have one one six six thruster and a twelve pack. You've got a <laughs> it's a concerted effort, you know. <laughs> That's true. Well, um, we're at about an hour twenty right now. What else you want to touch on before we wrap up? Um, I guess really. I mean, kind of covered quite a bit. What are you excited um, about? Looking forward. What are you most stoked about over the next year? Um, well, hopefully we get some more waves. It's, it's been a crazy year and I think everything with the pandemic and just the weirdness associated with it and especially guys in other areas that have been even more locked down. Like my, my little town's pretty laid back and I am a block from the beach and I have been very blessed over this crazy year to have access. And I'm sure you have too. Yeah, just, you know, everybody's trying to wrap their head around what you do in a pandemic and I think we're call, all kind of making it up as we go along. I will be smarter in two years, put it that way. I just don't think that we're smart enough yet. <laughs> so, you know, it just once the stuff clears and we kind of get our heads wrapped around what's actually going on and um, get more base back in reality that, you know, things will, things will calm down. But um, I think a lot of spots have had a lot of population pressure as far as people working from home and being where they want to be because everybody wants to be, be at the beach is that I've seen more people in the lineup lately than I ever have at my normal surfing spots, which makes me very grateful that I'm a foiler because I can go somewhere they don't even know about and go hide a week and not even see a single person. So that social pressure, that surfing population pressure, I've seen it in California, you know, all these horror stories you see on the web, like lines like a mile long to get into a park and it's 5 a.m. already, you know, and it's just, Oh, so unfortunate that what we're used to has changed over this last year. So I think as we clear and around that corner and um, kind of get back to a sense of normalcy, some of that social pressure will remain because a lot of people will have converted to working from home. Yeah. And, you know, these office complexes will sit half empty or be utilized for something else. But we'll see a lot more population at the common surf areas. So I think for foiling, you'll see that ability to, to that freedom of being able to move to another spot yeah. and so much more of it is accessible to us and it's, it's wide open it's just look at a map and really go pick a spot and i'll, I'll bet you it's you're able to foil there <laughs> it's true T two thoughts on that one i'm incredibly grateful that the sport i'm in love with is one of the safest sports that you can do right now 
um, just to be able to have this during this time, you know, like it's, my life's not that much different because I kind of worked from the house already. And what I do is go, just go foil on my free time. Um, and you know, I'm just, I'm just super stoked that I'm not a gym rat or something like that to where it's locked down. I can't do what I love. Um, and then the other is, is it blowing your mind that more surfers aren't just selling all their surfboards and jumping into foiling right now for where we live? I, it just shocks me to look at the cam here and there's 50 guys fighting over a one foot peak at the pier. And there's me and a couple buddies out on a bar by ourselves every day having, you know, a hundred times more fun. I, I just don't get why there isn't more of a, and I'm not, I'm not hoping it happens necessarily right away. I think it will at some point, but I just, I'm not understanding how people aren't seeing it. Yeah. I, I kind of coming from kite surfing, which, um, like growing up as a kid, you know, like I've been surfing since basically what, 73 now. <laughs> so you see the evolutions of like, you know, and, and I say consciously surfing since I was like probably nine or 10 years old, you know, as a grown but seeing the evolution of longboarding in the midst of, of shortboarding and being on the cusp of that and you know, progressive performance longboarding, I was totally into it. I, I was my world for a while. And um, then it converted into other things. And then kite surfing came along and just new stuff. And you talk to your friends about it. And you know, I've been really blessed to live around a very hot spot for, you know, talented surfing. And a lot of my friends surf phenomenally well, like world-class guys. And I have been at the best of my whole entire life, an average surfer. And that's, that'd be a, a, a steep claim for, even for me. But, uh, I just, like I said, as each new thing came out, like kite surfing, I'd say to my buddies that were really good and, you know, ind industry guys and stuff, man, you got a kite, you know, you don't need a jet ski every day. You can go and go kite surf monster hole and nobody's around. And it's just, like you said, I think somebody mentioned it before, but cognitive dissonance, yeah. you know, you're comfortable with what you're used to and you don't want to be a kook at something new. So there is that threshold that people have to step over, you know, and just send it past their comfort zone and say, hey, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try foiling. And unfortunately, some of the guys that do it that are really good surfers, I know a couple of cases where guys are like, I'm going to grab a board. I'm going to go take me out. And either the coaching element wasn't there or the equipment wasn't right. And they had a terrible experience. And they're like, I'm never touching that stuff again. I almost killed myself. So the guys that seek it, if they can get latched on in the right way with the right coach and the right environment or equipment, they're going to get it and they're going to get it quick and they're going to be phenomenal at it. And there's a couple of guys I know of that just picked it up on their own. Um, Eric Gosman is one and I'll call him out because he, he's an absolute freak of nature. He surfs incredibly well and he took the foiling and I, I it must've been three days. I saw him at the beach, um, up at his end of town up in Volusia County. And I saw him foiling for the first time. I was like, Hey man, looking good. How, how long have you been riding? He goes, Oh, I got this thing like two weeks ago. <laughs> like <laughs> what? You know, full roundhouse cutbacks and everything. And you're like pumping out and like, it's nothing. He goes, I just think like I'm skateboarding and it, it makes total sense. I was like, well, you got a point. And some guys can wrap their heads around it and just progress so fast. And then, but he's fluent. He can jump back on a surfboard and be phenomenal. Jump back on a pool and be phenomenal. I jump back on a surfboard. It takes me a good 30 minutes to, get used to it again. And I kind of don't want to do that anymore. I'm like, Oh, whatever conditions is, I want to be able to foil it. But some of the guys like that, you're just like, they're picking it up and some other world-class guys are just, you know, they're not going to claim it. They're not going to say that they're foiling and probably wouldn't want me to tell them anybody that they've tried foiling or even good at it. But these guys are picking it up. And when it's kind of socially acceptable to be good at foiling, they're going to 
you're, you're gonna know who the guys are <laughs> you're gonna see them but um and then you got the wakeboarding world the whole wake thing is another whole entire universe and those guys are picking it up and latching onto it and just absolutely killing it and that's where you get guys like Noah Flegel and Austin Tovey that are well-versed in on both planets or both universes and yep. just, those are the guys to watch and that's that's who prompted me to kind of break out of my comfort zone to a degree I was watching some of these weight guys just just do these crazy things and I'm like okay there's something I'm there's a challenge I'm gonna go after it let's see what I can do so it's just like I said about that personal progression you got to be uncomfortable you know and just go and be smart about it when you do it so if that makes sense yeah man um well, I truly appreciate you spending the time. I feel like I learned a lot from you here today. Um, what do you want to leave folks with? Um, yeah, just, you know, this is a new sport. It's kind of, it's maturing to a degree. It's starting to branch off in these other disciplines. But what's always been really cool about it is that you were kind of like an outcast of the surfing community or whatever. We're like these, you know, outliers or these early adopters. And that positivity that comes with it, um, you got to latch onto it and keep it because, you know, God forbid we'd be, end up being a bunch of gatekeepers and be like, oh, you're you're on this type foil or you're on that type foil. That's not cool. It, we, we all ride this or whatever, you know, like, like the clickiness. Um, we're all just one big bunch of dysfunctional surfers, basically. And we should realize that and stay grounded because that positivity is what's so cool about it. Um no matter who I talk to on Instagram and on DMs and stuff, it's like I'm talking to them. You know, they'd be halfway across the planet, and I feel like they're like one of my neighbors. I'm like, cool, we're speaking the same language. And yeah. I don't think we quite get that anymore with like the, the strictly surfing, surfboarding industry and in the crowd. You get just it's so much pressure and so much challenge to keep that open mind that I think it's 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 tough to maintain. But it has to be a conscious effort. Put it that way. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be the same though. I feel like there's not the same scarcity of resource in foiling. Um, I mean, we'll be out back. There'll be four of us out back. We'll all take off on the same wave. No one cares, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it, it is definitely a different thing entirely. And I, I think what goes hand in hand with that too is we, you know, we can be locals at certain spots and we'll be heavies and stuff like that. But somebody will see you ride somewhere and think that they can do the same thing that doesn't quite belong in that zone yeah. and really wreck it and ruin it um and that kind of happened with kite surfing and stuff too we you know a couple bands and a couple couple you know really less than ideal conditions you know situations that the, even the kite surfing industry has had to deal with in certain areas of states and certain zones are just there's no access you just it's gone don't even think about riding here yep. but i think right now we're at the early still at the early stages that we really have to be cognizant about the legacy that we leave once we start you know, encroaching into certain areas and, and enjoying <laughs> the not so scarce resources that we're not just dropping into a, you know, a high pressure spot and just really being a bad guy. Absolutely. We're all going to hear about it. We're all yep. going to suffer. And as a PSA, I actually, um, and I, I think I told the story on the show before, so I won't do it again, but I had to ask someone to move out of a spot that I was, cause he was almost killing people. But, um, I think unless you're, like really solid on your board, connect the waves, you control your board the whole time. There's no, there's so much ocean out there to foil on. Just stay far away from everybody while you're learning. 
Um, there's no reason that you don't have to be on a special peak. So, um, don't hurt somebody else. Or, you know, the other thing that you could do is trying not to hurt someone else, hurt yourself, which happens all the time too. I'm sure trying to keep a handle on your board in the wrong situation. So, yep. Yep. Well, keep an eye out for each other. Exactly. Absolutely. Lathan, thanks a ton for, uh, for coming on the show and be good to get you back on in six months. When you've learned something new, brilliant that you want to share, hit me up, get you back on. Yeah. I appreciate the time. And like I said, my eyes are open. It's, it's fun to watch the new crop and the new kids just going phenomenal. I just, I love it. It's such a great sport and such a cool time to be in it. All right, Latham. Have a good one. Right, you too. Thank you very much. I'll see ya.